Welcome to the Victor Frankel Meaning Academy. We are your hosts of the Meaning Academy podcast, Dr. Daniel Franz and Dr. Baruch Halevi. In this podcast, we explore the insights and inspiration of Dr. Victor Frankel and all things meaning, purpose, and resilience. Thanks for joining us. And now let's begin our search for meaning. Hey all, welcome back to the Victor Frankel Meaning Academy and the Meaning Academy podcast where we are here. I am in studio, sort of, virtually at least, with my good friend, Dr. Dan. What's happening, brother, Dr. Dan? All kinds of good stuff, B, right? Meaning Academy, moving forward with all of the uh, dreams and things we've been talking about for the past year, meaning masterminds and a curriculum and a book to be released. We're doing some cool stuff there, man. We're doing a lot of cool stuff for our listeners. You can now jump over. We don't have to say anymore. The Meaning Project and the Defiant Spirit podcast coming together, right? We can now just say the Meaning Academy podcast because we have the Victor Frankel Meaning Academy up and running. Jump over to TheMeaningAcademy.com where you can see the work of Dr. Dan, myself, and our other logotherapist partner in crime or partner in meaning, I should say, and that is uh, Elise Cortez. So lots of good stuff, and yeah, stay tuned for more. So should we uh, jump into our podcast? Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about this amazing quote that you found that uh, relates directly to Dr. Frankel's work and is often misinterpreted. You want to pull that one out? Yeah, so a few years back, um Brene Brown now who needs no introduction she's got like this almost uh, cult like following i by the way really love brene brown so what i'm never about to you never, never heard, heard of, of brene brown never heard of her um, i've never never jumped on board although i know i should the only thing i ever listened to was her interviewing your doppelganger the one everybody knows as mr roy kent that was a fabulous podcast interview, but uh, that is all I really know of Brene Brown, other than that she does have this wonderful following and uh, some pretty solid research. So I commit to at some point. She's amazing. I love her, but she's a human being, right? Like I, I see this, you know, cult of personality. It doesn't matter if it's Tony Robbins or if it's Oprah or if it's Dr. Dan. People and Rabbi start, yep. <laughs> People start <laughs> elevating them beyond human status. And I think for whatever reason, perfect time, perfect place, she hit that. And she did it around her first book that went viral, famous bestseller was um, Daring Greatly. She had a couple before that, but her book Daring Greatly went, you know, huge. And one, and it was built around the following quote um, by Teddy Roosevelt, who said this uh, it's called The Man in the Arena, and it was um, spoken, I believe, in 1910 at the Sorbonne in Paris, and he said the following. Uh, and for context, I love this, and mm -hmm. yet I have been challenged on it. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, but because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, 
but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and at worst, if he fails, he fails while daring greatly. And you can see where she took the title of her book and this concept. I shared it before, Brene. I'll keep sharing it after, Brene. However, I do think it flies in the face of logotherapy, logo philosophy, meaning-centered living, if certainly overbaked, overdone. Agreed. Let's, Agreed. Let's so many. I mean, honestly, I've, I've, I've read that many times and always been a little uh, motivated by it not necessarily inspired, possibly motivated by it, um, but in a, in a somewhat maybe a, adrenalized way. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's very full of uh, machismo and bravado, and you got to throw yourself in the, into the arena and, and, and get those scars. And in some ways, yes, okay, we've talked about you have to try. You have to engage in life. However, contrary to logotherapy we get to well contrary to what, what, what mr roosevelt says we have to choose our suffering or we get to choose our suffering we get to choose our course and he's i don't know i i think there's just too much go out there and and fail rather than go out and and make meaningful choices um a little context which i didn't know and started doing a little digging and that is that um Theodore Roosevelt was probably an Enneagram 8. He never took the test, but um, at least when I read about him and I've the research I've done, so the Enneagram 8 is the challenger. That's This is my world, not Dr. Dan's. I'm, I'll explain it to those who don't know the Enneagram, but it's, um, it is the adrenaline junkie. It's the one who goes big, goes home, needs that sort of extra boost of um, of, of caffeine out in life, out in the world. It's almost like we can't feel unless there's an intensity. And I think eights really do well with the highs and the lows, the peaks and the valleys. It's the day-to-day, -day the mundane that we have a harder time with. So we're also, it's almost like we're almost built for firefighting. And when there's not a fire, if an unhealthy eight will create a fire. And you can feel this with Theodore Roosevelt. So I was reading about him and this was said after he was in the White House. This was said when almost he was bored and he was known to go on these great adventures, risking life and limb. He would go to the Amazon hunting animals and to the point where he would endanger himself or those around him. Um, he, he wanted to enlist in World War One. He's almost 60 years old mm -hmm. and he was turned down. He, they wouldn't let him. They said, you know, it's not appropriate. You get yourself hurt. You get other people hurt. So you can feel that in this quote. And when you understand the context, it's like, man, maybe daring greatly for him might have been just to sit on his butt. Yeah. Maybe he needed to dare smartly. Um, question B re regarding this, this Enneagram you speak of. Um <laughs> I've been told I've been told you're an eight, correct? I'm an eight. Do you know any other eights? You know, they're not um they're not the most popular of types. They're sort of rare, a little bit of a rare breed. However, Dan, I do know one. And 
he happens to be sitting across from me virtually. So okay, I, I mean, so we're 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 rare. That's that's good to know. But what's the difference, right? And and we've talked about that. You've you've uh, educated me somewhat in the Enneagram. I know I have Richard Rohr's book sitting here. I was reading it last night, trying to figure out uh, who I am in your eyes as an eight. Uh, or as I read this morning, an eight hole. Uh, we'll have to talk about that some other. I guess don't be an eight hole. Be <laughs> the coffee mug. So a healthy eight, as, as I would hope you and I are, as we we go out on this adventure of the Mini Academy. What is the difference between a healthy eight and and the Teddy Roosevelt unhealthy eight? So as an exam, my favorite example is a healthy eight is Martin Luther King. Mm. Martin Luther King was filled with fire. I think a lot of people want to rewrite history and remember him as a gentle giant. He wasn't gentle. He was he harnessed his fire. He harnessed his intensity. Right? That's why for him nonviolence I think was so central because an 8 can get consumed by the fire if they don't stand guard against it. Um, and, you know, caricature of this you mentioned already, so I'll bring him up again, is Roy Kent from those of you who love uh, Ted Lasso like we do. Roy Kent, you can see there's a fire that's burning in him. And when it gets the best of him, you can just watch him consumed in the flames. And I think that Frank, I think that Frank, I think that um, King walked that edge and you can feel it come out in a healthy, constructive way in his speeches, as an example. Those are fiery rhetoric speeches. Mm -hmm. So that's a healthy eight. An unhealthy eight, not to get political, is uh, Donald Trump. And mm -hmm. you see Donald Trump losing his control mm -hmm. and the fire, right? Again, uh, the, we have all kinds of people listening to this podcast, so vote for whoever the heck you want to vote for. But I don't think there's anybody, even his most avid supporters, would say that he probably gets himself into the most trouble when he loses control, when he gets too much on Twitter or in the old days when he was on Twitter. Right. Mm -hmm. The fire just starts getting um, a little too fiery. So if we bring that back to Teddy Roosevelt, sometimes that fire was self-imposed and, and just too dang hot, it sounds like. So in, in an unhealthy way, the idea of daring greatly, right, not throwing yourself into the Amazon jungle, not throwing yourself into firefights as a 60 year old man. Maybe daring, I, I said daring smartly, maybe, ooh, ooh, be, maybe daring meaningfully, right? How do we apply this? How do we apply logo therapy, logo philosophy, the idea of choosing meaningfully to this? That's a great question. Um, you know, as we explore the work of Viktor Frankl, I mean, Viktor Frankl was no wallflower. He was a mountain climber. He was a pilot. Mm -hmm. He had that eight-ish piece. He wasn't an eight. I, maybe he had, maybe he was a seven, which is the enthusiast, but he wasn't an eight. However, he's got some of those pieces you can feel. Like who goes mountain climbing, you know, to that extreme and learns mm -hmm. how to fly. You know, somebody who really wants to feel some fire. Mm -hmm. So he was no prude in that sense. However, you know, what Frankel said was you don't you shouldn't go looking for the danger, you shouldn't go looking for the suffering. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't avoid it when it comes to you. But the moment you go try and generate and he didn't say this, he talked about really suffering. Right. But mm -hmm. but I think you could apply it to don't go 
creating gratuitous intensity, drama, danger in your life because plenty will present itself to you. Yes. One of the ways we discover meaning is in our attitudes towards suffering, not just towards suffering, but his statement was towards unavoidable suffering mm -hmm. that we shouldn't go seeking meaning in avoidable suffering, right? If we can avoid it, we should, if there are things we can do to prevent the suffering for ourselves or others in the world, we should certainly engage it and not use it to discover meaning. And, so and maybe if, that's the difference here. So if I'm Roosevelt and I came to you and said, okay, Dr. Logotherapist Dan, I am going down to the Amazon. I'm going to go hunt the anaconda or whatever the heck he was hunting down there. And I'm doing it. That's not suffering, right? That's not suffering. That's adventure. Mm -hmm. So tell me, make the case what, you know, from what you're talking about, why I shouldn't do that. Cause it, to me, it doesn't strike me as wrong. It's there's no suffering in that. Is there at that time in human history, I think it was the question of putting other people in danger for, for your fun and excitement. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and personally, I, I'm not a hunter. I don't think I could be one. And so the idea of, I'm sure they didn't know what endangered species were back then, but you know, Amazon is full of endangered species and to go off and hunt them and kill them so that you can have a trophy in your trophy room, just never really quite connected with me. So there's a bias there that I recognize uh, doesn't work. My, my question would be, are there greater sources of meaning in your life that actually serve humanity, serve the community, serve those closer to you, rather than just going out and seeking adrenaline? But even as I say that, like, there's nothing wrong with seeking adrenaline-laced adventures in skydiving, in racing fast cars in a safe environment. I, I don't know, B. I don't know if the Amazon one... If I could really make a good argument other than seeking meaning in a more self-transcendent way. Right. I, I think, though, that as I'm, we're starting to flesh this out a little bit, um, you know, I call my practice the defiant spirit based on Frankel's idea that we have to defy our circumstances. And for an Enneagram 8, I think it is an act of defiance to sit still and find the meaning in the quiet because I'll do anything as an Enneagram eight I'll, in many ways, I'll do anything to stir the pot. Mm -hmm. Cause I, my wife just said to me yesterday, like, why do you always have to just stir the pot? Why can't you just sit still? <laughs> and she was challenging me in that Teddy Roosevelt kind of way. Like, can't mm -hmm. you feel without having to create the fire, the drama, the intensity, the, whatever and she's right like especially you know i'm not 59 I'm, I'm getting closer and closer um can i can i learn to find it without having to create a lot of noise mm -hmm. a lot of hunting i believe uh i've shared with you one of the books i'm currently reading is the uh, the modern interpretation of stoicism by ryan holiday in, in, in his series, I don't know, he's got a series where he interprets the Stoic philosophies and, and he does a really good job bringing it into modern times. But the book, the current book is the stillness is the key or something about stillness, right? That idea of finding peace, looking for serenity. And, and you're right, as an eight myself or as 
you've shared with me. I am an eight. Um, I can recognize that there's always a new project, a new adventure, something to engage in. My my own group of therapists that I work with have often accused me of having too much going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, hearing that, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I think we live in a world of too much going on, right? There's always a drive for busyness, not business, busyness, B-U-S-Y-N-E-S-S, trying always having something going on. Kids' schedules, kids, I, I was talking to somebody just the other day about over scheduling kids' activities, having three different activities every day after the activity of going to school for six or eight hours. Mm-hmm. It just seems insane. And maybe we need to practice more stillness. So I got this from Ryan Holiday, another book of his. I'm a, I love Ryan Holiday because I love he's really revived the Stoics. And I do think Dr. Frankel was deeply influenced by the Stoics, although he never references them, which is an interesting conversation mm-hmm. for another time. But um, having studied them in college and now sort of revisiting them through Ryan Holiday, he brings up a Seneca quote that says, the wise person will endure all of this you know, arena stuff, but won't choose it choosing to be at peace rather than at war. And, and I do think, you know, Frankel went to war, literally. I mean, he he was in World War II in the Holocaust and surviving like a warrior in the arena of the concentration camps and in, in teaching all, us all about how endurance, enduring, bearing your suffering is essential. But like you said, Dan, not choosing because life will present to you enough without drama without catastrophizing and dramatizing. Absolutely. I was, it's interesting. I was just speaking on another podcast that will be on the meaning project here in a couple of weeks. Um, life presents us plenty of opportunities for struggle, suffering, trauma, both big T and little T. We don't have to go out and seek it. What we can do is practice to train for self-awareness, for resilience and for stillness to, to cultivate, the inner world, um, rather than seeking stimulate constant stimulation in the outer world. And I think maybe there's a balance to be had there. So let me bring to you another client scenario. Um, I'll fictionalize it to some degree, though it's happened on many occasions. Let's say it's a 59-year-old man, a modern-day Teddy Roosevelt, comes to me and says, 10 variations of the following. I'm, I climbed the ladder ladder of success to realize it was leaning against the wrong wall. I've done everything I set out to do and it's not enough. I have an itch that needs to be scratched. And therefore I'm getting a new version of my wife. I'm getting a new version of my job. I'm leaving to go to a new destination. I'm taking on parasailing. I'm, I'm, I'm selling my business and going to Tahiti. I'm fill in the blank, creating an arena, right? Because I, my life is short, the clock is ticking and I want to live. Have you heard versions of that? Oh my goodness. I don't know. Every day, a couple (laughs) times every day. And ironically, B, I mean, you and I were just talking in the most recent meaning mastermind about scratching that itch just yesterday. So Uh, I'm a company man. It's a little plug there. Um, yeah, absolutely. And there seems something about us gentlemen at around 49 to 59 that we feel we need to, you know, the, the, the idea of a midlife crisis is no joke, even though it's been, you know, humorized in, in recent times. But in 
a healthy stage of development. We are transitioning more in a, if we're, if we're aiming to be healthy, it's more about finding ways to give back, to stabilize, and then to give back and, and seeking that. I mean, all those things you listed, like, I think my first response would be like, slow the fork down, (laughs) maybe a little more therapeutic than that. Um, and, and maybe offering some kind of a uh, slow acting long-term sedative because that just seems so full of old, uh, oh, I was going to say old, but then that would categorize you. Sorry, but um, uh, experienced ADHD, right? Like trying to find all of these stimuli where it's like, no, that's, how about reinventing, reinvesting, right? Uh, what you have to Truly, uh, you know, we've, we've talked, uh, we've actually put on social media a couple times this week, some of our Meaning Academy quotes have had to do with love um, from Thomas Merton, as well as from Dr. Frankel, right? Mm-hmm. To truly love somebody is to experience them in all of their uniqueness, accepting them for who they are, not who you want them to be or who you see them as. That's a combination of Merton and Frankel there. And one of the greatest ways we can discover meaning in our life is to truly love somebody. Mm-hmm. So this guy's aiming in all the wrong directions and coming out blazing, you know, guns of fire. That's really a great point. You know, all the examples, I think the Ryan Holiday gave about Roosevelt's later in life obsession with the arena are about him. There's no other, there's mm. no cause, there's no transcendent And Frankel talks a lot about that the only way to true meaning is to go beyond ourselves in service. And so my son, who's um, just turning 21 here pretty quickly, he's off to Israel in a couple days for three months on another another big adventure. And it's 100 percent appropriate because he's 20 something. Mm -hmm. And in your 20s, you know, in the Talmud, it says your 20s are time for pursuing. And then Mm -hmm. the question is asked, pursuing what? Pursuing everything. Right. It's the arena time. But when you're 40, when you're 50, it's a it's a different type of arena. It's mm-hmm. standing put, standing still, taking responsibility and serving. That's the new arena. Mm-hmm. Again, developmental psychology calls at the stage of generativity versus stagnation, right? Generativity, giving back, supporting others, helping others, taking those decades of arena and wisdom and experience and mentoring, sharing, giving back, teaching others for that individual in the business, rather than just firing it off and selling it. What about teaching somebody else how to run it? What about looking in the family to see if anybody wants to take part in it rather than getting that brand new sports car? What about finding a way to work on the old ones you have? I don't know. What about growing in experience and education and knowledge and sharing that with others rather than again, chasing off into the world of adrenaline. And seeing that as an arena, right? I talk to especially Mm -hmm. guys at that age about this is your arena to stand still. You know, and I had this conversation recently with somebody who said, but it doesn't make me happy. I want to go pursue my bliss, Mm. right? And, And what if those are old rules. Those are, as we talk about, morning of life rules, first half of life rules. That, that Totally, go pursue it. Second half of life, what if it's not 
pursuit of happiness, as the good doctor says, but the end suit of happiness. Want to unpack that one? End suit of happiness. Oh, man. You know, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> I'm just for dangling, happiness, look, dangling right. a little bit in front of there. Like you got that carrot right there, <laughs> yeah. man. So for success, like happiness cannot be pursued. It must end sue from the meaningful pursuit of things greater than yourself or for true love of another. Um, and, and I use that one often in clinical and coaching work as well as in group work. We, that, oh man, you just, you punched me right there in the brain, B. Like, I want to pursue my bliss. What the, what is that? That is some new age self-serving selfishness. But Dan, right? don't, want, don't my kids and my loved ones want me to be happy? No, no. What, they what? want you to be present. They want you to engage with them. They don't give a darn about your happiness. Wait, but Dan, that my authentic self. I need, oh. to, I, need to, I need to express my authenticity. No, you need to express your self-transcendence and find meaning. Stop. What new age garbage are you reading? Right? No, I, I think, I don't know. Is that is that the 60s, 70s, or 80s? That was all about the me, right? Me, 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 me. And and we see the, the generational down to man i'm uh, you got me full grumpy old man here now thanks um we've seen the negative effects of that pursuit of selfish interest has really caused a lot of problems in our culture and society and it's always the great humans the people that are out there to try to help others that are remembered right the, as as we we're talking about martin luther king gandhi right these are the greats but just in everyday life, those people that seek to serve others and help others, the rabbi bees of the world are those that are full of meaning and feel fulfilled and feel authentic. So um, I think it's Dennis Prager who says, look, if you came to me and said, and you hadn't showered in two weeks and Oof. you smelled, and I said to you, Dan, you got to take a shower. And you said to me, B, this is my authentic smell. Right. I'd say to you, I don't care about your authentic smell. Put on deodorant because authenticity is not the aim. Authenticity. My authentic self without coffee in the morning is an eight hole. Like, <laughs> I, I, you know, but, but honey, Ariella, you know, this is my authentic self. I'm just grumpy and mean. Well, go yeah. do something with your authentic self and come back when it's not so authentic. Right. You know, I, I've got a great example there just from this morning. My authentic self wanted to keep his uh, behind in bed and, and just not do anything is that dog's nose, wet nose was in my face. That authentic self was like, hey, wife, why don't you go take care of the dog so I can lay here and be authentically asleep? <laughs> the the self-actualized, self-transcendent self got out of bed, was greeted by the young dog and the old dog, took a walk outside made coffee for my wife who then got to enjoy some time in bed and and that's where i felt well I, I throw the word around transcendent serving helping i made her day just a little bit brighter by letting her sleep in and knowing that as soon as she got up there would be coffee ready for her. i talk about all the time my the first 30 minutes of every day of my life are dedicated to taking care of the dogs making my wife coffee and cleaning up whatever little messes are laying about the house and then i go about saying you know what i, I started the day out right so your authentic self may want the next big adventure the next arena the next whatever but from a logo meaning perspective 
it's not about authenticity. It's about responsibility, right? Mm. We are not interested in authenticity on our journey for meaning. We are interested in responsibility. All right. Let's go ahead and like, what, 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 the, what does that word even mean? Authenticity. It's been so co-opted by bleh, just bad thinking. What, is, what does authentic mean? You know, real. I want to be my real self. You know, it's it's been co-opted by I want to be my selfish self. I want to take care of me. And yeah. that doesn't right. That's how people wind up in pretty unhealthy states. I want to take care, you know, Teddy Roosevelt being an example. I want to do what I want to do. And and I'm gonna take all of you with me. Um yeah, I think that it's id in you know in mm. Freudian terms, right? It's just just primal. I have my um I have my desires. I want to get them met. My clock is ticking. So what about my time, my needs? And look, I am the first person to say you must also have a sense of self. Mm -hmm. You must have a, your needs and address those needs. But it's digging beneath the surface of what's a, what's truly a need. I have this conversation with my kids almost every day. Is that a want or a need? They're not mm -hmm. the same thing. Right. And we're talking about needs. I think when most people are talking about wants. Yeah. And, and I, I continue to go back to there's a healthy balance, right? We, we have to have our needs taken care of and we should pursue some of our wants, but not at the expense of, of being community, being family, serving others, helping others by doing that as, as we've talked about before. And I have off quoted, I don't know how many times on our podcast, as our, our friend, the poet philosopher, Joe Rogan says, serving others, is the most doing things for others is the most selfish thing you can do mm -hmm. right because it feels good for you because you feel good doing it but imagine if more people were selfish in that way in serving others what a different kind of world it would be so i think in the in final analysis what we're saying is yes go into the arena make your defiant stand of the human spirit frankel talks all about make your stand draw your line but perhaps challenging what's the arena and maybe it's not leaving but staying maybe it's not creating drama or intensity or fire but bringing down the noise getting quiet getting still maybe it's not about pursuing the wants or the id or the desires but right getting to what's really need for the meaning of the moment yeah i think in our uh hypothetical 59 year old client it's getting to the why why, why are you, why do you need to go do all of this? What is, what is that about you and how can we express it in a more meaningful way? Because we know as logo therapists, logo philosophers, that path is a path to destruction, is a path to, to uh, annihilation of the self, is a path to wanting, right? It's a, 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 ooh, I almost said narcissistic, but it's not clinically narcissistic, but it's very self-serving and therefore not self-transcendent. And that is a path to not being fulfilled whatsoever. And the ultimate litmus test is, I think in my experience, project forward to the end, whenever the end is, and your children, your spouse, your loved ones, your friends, mm -hmm. your family, at your grave. You know, does it pass the, the eulogy test? Is, does what you're about to do make it into that eulogy of praise, of legacy, of example? Or is it uh, a footnote, right? And you know, he was a great person 
even in spite of this, like he lost himself therefore. So come back to that moment. Is this part of my why, right? Like I love mm -hmm. when you bring us back to that. Yeah. It's okay to lose yourself momentarily as long as you can center yourself and balance yourself back to your why. But it is the unfulfilled person, unfulfilled man that goes out and, and, and loses himself in, in womanizing, in, 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 in excitement and drugs and alcohol and in spending and getting the new boat, the new car, the new, you know, all the stuff, you know, the, the truly self-actualized, self-transcendent and fulfilled person goes out and figures out how they can continue to give back to their family, their community, the business, the job, and, and will find fulfillment through that. We'll find, we'll find their true why. And maybe for you listening, it is to go out and have a great adventure if that's truly a response, not a reaction. So let me let me rewrite the ending of this um, in, in a Franklinian kind of a way, who at the best knows in the end triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while responding greatly. Mm. While responding meaningfully. Uh, responding meaningfully yeah yeah responsibility the ability to choose your response the ability to choose yeah all right my friend well i think that's another wrap on a meaningful podcast and i think pretty innovative take on a very popular idea that i still love and i'm gonna mm -hmm. keep on my wall but i'm also gonna challenge myself now to respond meaningfully not just dare great I would, I would definitely agree, and I would encourage anybody out there listening, you know, to to challenge yourself on that. That is such a popular quote and statement that I think we just, we've we've taken to believe. Go out there and just do the thing, and and, and go get it, and and without without question. And I think what we're offered here is, you know, where is the question of meaning? Where is the question of self transcendence, and and serving others in a world that has really taught us to serve ourselves. How can you be counterintuitive? That how can you be countercultural, and therefore choose responsibly? And that might be your greatest act of daring. Greatly is to not right is to stand still, stay put, take on more obligations to serve, to defy that piece of yourself. So with that, I think probably a good place to uh, end. We hit the point where your buddies are just wanting to turn around on their jog and go home. Yeah. So we'll. Uh, well, I, before we do, I would want to encourage people, right? I mean, we we kind of went against the grain there. Please send us some feedback. Hop on over to themeaningacademy.com. You can email B or I or Dr. Elise or our Meaning Seeker Coordinator, Scott Schaff, and you can get in touch with all of us there. Hop on the Meaning Academy Facebook page, see what we're doing and talking about. Tell us that uh, you agree, you disagree, that we're full of it, or maybe that we're just as brilliant as we sometimes think we are. And through that, you can hop on over to our private Facebook group, the Meaning Seekers, I believe. Is that correct? Do I have that right? That's right. And, uh, you know, engage in further conversation, participate in our Meaning Masterminds on Thursday. Look, there's a whole lot of good stuff going on there, not just B and I chatting on a uh, on a podcast. You know, this is this this has worked for a long time, the two of us chatting, and we've added like-minded people that really want to share uh, Dr. Elise and Scott and, and the other participants who have come into the meeting mastermind. So we would encourage you 
hop on over and see what we're doing and engage in the conversation. Many masterminds, Thursdays, 12 o'clock Pacific time, three o'clock Eastern time. We would love to now start scaling this out and inviting you into our conversations weekly. Also, Brene, thank you for listening to the very end. I do respect it. We love you. Um, we'd love to get on your podcast and really you know, have a meaningful debate around this. So thank you for putting <laughs> up with us and listening to the end. And Brene, if you have Roy Ken on your podcast again, we would like to be on that one as B's doppelganger. <laughs> Until then, uh, what's our what's our sign off again? <laughs> I don't know. I really hope some audience members participate and give us a sign off. I'm not sure. We both have our own sign offs for our, our individual podcast. We have not mastered this one. What's yet. what's your sign off on your podcast? Uh, and thank you for allowing me to this opportunity to bring a little bit of mental health and meaning to your day. Take care. Oh boy, we're gonna work on that one. So <laughs> <laughs> you are such an eight hole. All right, my good friend. I'll talk to you in the next podcast. Take care. You've been listening to the Meaning Academy podcast with your hosts, Dr. Daniel Franz and Dr. Baruch Halevi. If you found meaning in what you've heard, please leave us a five star review and be sure to share this with fellow meaning seekers. And don't forget to check us out at themeaningacademy.com where you can learn how to join our weekly virtual and complimentary meaning masterminds. Until the next time, get out there and live your purpose and discover your meaning.